Spartacus, a motion picture unequaled in the entire history of filmmaking, unlikely ever to be surpassed. Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential. Radio talk show about television. Michelle Danner will join us in our second hour. Michelle Danner, legendary Hollywood acting coach who has worked with countless A-list actors from film and television, including Jason Alexander, Seth MacFarlane, Soma Hayek, and Penelope Cruz. Michelle Danner is also an accomplished actress and director in her own right. Matter of fact, two of the films that Michelle recently directed will be screened at film festivals later this month. Plus, she will be directing actress Anne Archer in an upcoming stage production later this year. Lots of things to talk about when Michelle Danner joins us in our second hour. We'll be able to stay tuned for that. Our second hour will also pay tribute to Robert Conrad. Robert Conrad, the iconic star of the Wild Wild West, Baba Black Sheep, Centennial, and other TV series that one of our listeners called the Brad Pitt of his day. Robert Conrad passed away this past Saturday, February 8th at the age of of 84, our friend Bob Heron was one of the core stuntmen that Robert Conrad worked with every week on the Wild Wild West. Bob doubled for Ross Martin on the Wild Wild West, but he also worked with Conrad at Warner Brothers during production of Hawaiian Eye. Bob Heron will share some memories of working with Robert Conrad during our second hour. We'll be able to stay tuned for that as well. In the meantime, in case you missed it, last week also marked the passing of screen legend Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas, the Academy Award-winning star of Spartacus, The Bad and the Beautiful, Seven Days in May, Champion, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Paths of Glory, Lonely Are the Brave, and many other motion pictures. Kirk Douglas died last week at the age of 103, though mostly known for his work on the big screen, Kirk Douglas was no stranger to television. Besides appearing frequently on late-night talk shows and network variety specials, Douglas starred in several notable made-for-TV movies late in his career, including Mousy in 1974 and Amos from 1985, while his son Michael Douglas, of course, became a star in his own right by way of the streets of San Francisco. You might recall that back in December 2016, our friend Phil Grice put together a special collection of rarely heard audio clips of some of Kirk Douglas's appearances on television during the 60s and 1970s as part of a special edition of the Sounds of Lost Television that celebrated Douglas's 100th birthday. Phil Grice, of course, founder of Archival television audio and the clips that Phil selected for that tribute gave us a pretty good picture of who Kirk Douglas was both as an actor and as a person showcasing his humanitarianism his desire to seek social justice his sense of humor and his love of singing as Kirk Douglas himself said on more than one occasion for a guy who couldn't sing Kirk Douglas certainly sang a lot over the course of his career we will play highlights of our centennial tribute to Kirk Douglas during our first hours we pick up the conversation we asked phil grice what is it about kirk douglas that uh, makes him such a great star well let's talk about his bottom uh but preface it with his uh, philanthropy uh his ability to have been uh, very outspoken where he took the curve uh solo starting his own production company when no one else basically was doing it in 55 uh, being able to give people who were blacklisted opportunities, uh, like Dalton Trumbo, being able to really give James Stacey an opportunity to be back on the screen after he lost his leg and his arm. He has been 
so special. I mean, just doing my research on him, it gave me a completely new uh, respect for the man. As far as the actor, I grew up with Douglas. Uh, he started his career on the screen, you know, in the late 40s. I, I remember going to see, uh, you know, especially Spartacus at the Brands Mayfair on Times Square. I mean, it was huge. It was huge. He was bigger than life. Uh, I loved him. I loved him. And, I, and, and, and the pictures he appeared in with Burt Lancaster, a very uh, close friend. Uh, I can watch over and over and over again. We're talking to Phil Grace. Phil Grace is founder and owner of Archival Television Audio. Phil has put together a collection of rarely heard audio featuring Kirk Douglas that he will share with us on our program this week. We were talking about this off mic. Uh, one of Kirk Douglas's favorite movies, in fact, he has, he has said this on more occasion, it is of all the, of the 90 films that he has done for the big screen and for television, his favorite movie is a film he made in 1962 called Lonely Are the Brave. This is uh, by all readings that I have done and uh, basically uh, stated by Kirk Douglas in uh, interviews is his favorite film. I love the film, and it plays um, often on um, classic movies. I have a beautiful copy of it. And basically what makes it a favorite movie is the theme, and, and it really focuses on the individual and how society tends to crush individuals who are different. And we all know that. I mean, uh, Pasteur, he was crushed. Uh, Bell, um uh, with his telephone, most people who are innovators are scrutinized, criticized, and squashed. Uh, later on, everyone looks at them as, oh yeah, I knew all along that this would be, you know, something very special in terms of what represented your character and your aspirations. So this was very special to him. And um, you talk about Dalton Trumbo, you know, that, that was a connection because he, he wrote the screenplay. And it uh, was got under very, very uh, difficult uh, circumstances. And I think on one of our clips, um, we're going to hear Kirk Douglas discuss that. In fact, we're going to hear Kirk Douglas discuss that right now. This is a clip from April 4th, 1962. Uh, Kirk Douglas was the guest on The Tonight Show that night. The Tonight Show was guest-hosted by Art Linkletter, and Art Linkletter and Kirk Douglas talk about the making of Lonely Are the Brave. The roughest, toughest location that you've ever been on to make a movie, and we're going to show a film that was taken on location. Uh, what was the name of the picture? Lonely Are the Brave. Lonely Are the Brave. You're going to see that, and you're going to enjoy that. Now, Kirk... We're going to uh, take everybody to the rugged Sandia Mountains. Where are those? That's near Albuquerque. Those are the yeah. southernmost Rocky Mountains. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing, I think, about seeing a little of this behind-the-scene film is I think that audiences, the public, uh, art have gotten so hip that they have the feeling everything is fake, you know. When you do something, they say, Kirk, how did you fake this? Or, or what did you do this? And they have the feeling that everything's done behind a, a backdrop on a stage. So it might be interesting that for them to see a little bit of the behind-the-scenes working of a picture being made. Now, this will never be seen in the actual movie, but you'll see it now. So roll it, and Kirk, you be our uh, 
commentator. Well, uh, what you're seeing now are mountains that are uh, over two miles up near Albuquerque. They're the Sandia Mountains. And the greatest difficulty about shooting a picture here was we were so far up that you could, you could work for very short periods of time, uh, and then you'd need oxygen. And we had the four or five people that were hospitalized because of uh, uh, the conditions being too tough for them. We had two ambulances on top of the mountain uh, taking people down whenever uh, things got too tough. How big a crew did you have about? Well, we had about 80 people. And you notice that all of the work, every piece of equipment had to be hauled down the side of the mountain. Now, this is the crest of the mountain. This is where our generators were, and we were working down the other side of it, which was the steep, uh, uh, craggy side of the mountain. The other side, you could, you could uh, get up by trucks. But over this, from here, we had all of our wires from our generators. We have about a mile and a half of wires to give us power. We use horses to help us uh, lug the... Uh, lug the equipment. What are and you in the picture, Kirk? A Western? Uh... No, you would think it's... Well, as a matter of fact, I play a cowboy of today. The period is 1962, and it's the story of a natural man who, uh, against the atomic age, and what this, the picture really, uh, what we see in the picture is how it's impossible for a man to be the type of man that existed back in uh, the Wild West period. Kirk Douglas talking to Art Linkletter about uh, the character he plays in Lonely Are the Brave, a picture he made in 1962, and a picture that Kirk Douglas to this day points out as his favorite movie of all the 90 films that he made uh, for some of the reasons he just alluded to in that uh, clip with Art Linkletter. Audio courtesy Phil Grice, A TV. Audio.com. Uh, it, it's kind of an interesting clip because, okay, this, on the one hand, it's obviously Douglas is narrating footage that was taken behind the scenes, and he's pointing that out to the audience. However, he he's, he's lyrical, and this, this speaks to the kind of preparation he did as an actor, no matter what film he made. It works even as a radio description because it just gives you an idea of the lengths that uh, he and his company took to make that picture. I'm a fastidious uh, actor and uh, production person. Um, on this film, uh, he did not get along with the director, uh, David Miller. And um, he said that David Miller had no regard for safety. Uh, there were incidents where uh, they were shooting near very narrow ledges and uh, very steep drop with no protection. And that irked immeasurably uh, Kirk Douglas in terms of distancing himself in terms of the relationship. It's interesting that I have a quote here from Kirk Douglas. Uh, he said, the best relationship I had on this film was with my horse, Whiskey. <laughs> then he says, of course, the horse couldn't talk back. Well, yeah. had a talk back from David Miller. Yeah, well, one of the things I read was... In fact, I think this this was Melville Shavelson who said this, another director that uh, Douglas worked with throughout his career. And he said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, he said, the problem with Kirk Douglas is also the great thing about Kirk Douglas, which is that he is a very intelligent actor. He's not the type of actor who just reads his lines 
and, and concerns only with uh, with what his character says. He reads the entire script. He reads the stage directions. He comes into a picture knowing everything about that movie and what his character says in relationship to all the other characters and being one of the first actors to form his own film production company, which he did uh, in the 1950s. He... He was not just a producer in name only. He threw himself into every aspect of the production. You know, you find that uh, people who are called troublesome, difficult to work with as actors, usually relate to the fact that they are very, very studious uh, and insistent on having to do something right. And, and you know, uh, and I applaud that. Uh, obviously, you can go overboard and, and be a megalomaniac at times and do things, you know, so beyond, like Eric Von Stroheim, you know, shooting 7,000 takes on greed. <laughs> but for the most part, if you really want to um, approach 100% excellence in terms of the character development, in terms of the integrity of a film especially, uh, you put the heart and soul into it. And if it takes a little longer and if there is a need to redo something, uh, by all means, I uh, give credit to those people who stick to their guns. We're paying tribute to Kirk Douglas. Phil Grace is with us. Phil has put together uh, a series of rarely heard audio clips of, of Douglas doing interviews and other appearances from the 60s and early 70s, which we'll be sharing throughout our program tonight to give you a at least a capsule picture of who Kirk Douglas was as a person, as well as why he was such a great actor and, and performer and, and, and renaissance man in many, many ways. Uh, while we're on the subject of Lonely Are the Brave and talking about uh, the things he did uh, behind the scenes, which may have been troublesome, but it was troublesome because he want he he did it in order to achieve a greater good and that goes back to the subject of Dalton Trumbo who wrote the screenplay for Lonely Are the Brave and who Douglas had worked with before on Spartacus well Dalton Trumbo as most um, of uh, historians realized uh, was blacklisted uh, he was among the dozen or so who uh, really were uh, given um, a quick exit with regard to no employment for many years. Many of these people, like also Will Gear, they had to kind of uh, go under a non-diploma. They got work here and there, and they really uh, were challenged tremendously. And it took not just one or two or three or four or five years, but it took a good dozen years before those blacklisted individuals, Delma Daves, the director, were given opportunities to, again, work, and not only work, but work with their real name on the screen credit. And Gordon Drummer was given that opportunity by Kirk Douglas with regard to the making of Spartacus. What, what are the uh, other actors who appeared in Lonely Are the Brave, Phil, uh, was William Shallert, William Shallert, who's been a guest on our program a couple of times, who all of us know for his many, many film and TV roles. William Shallert passed away uh, earlier this year, but in one of our appearances, Phil, Bill talked about the role Kirk Douglas played, not, not only in uh, getting Dalton Trumbo 
to receive credit for Spartacus under his own name, but the role that uh, Douglas played in ending the Hollywood blacklist in general. We're going to play that clip from Bill Shallert right now. I want to ask you one last question about uh, Lonely Are the Brave. Sure. That was written by Dalton Trumbull, right? Yep. And I, un- I understand that uh, Kirk Douglas was instrumental in getting Dalton Trumbull off the blacklist. Yeah, he was. I found that out by chance. Uh, I, I was reading the Los Angeles Times uh, and letters to the editor. For some reason, I happened to see this one that Kirk Douglas had written to the L.A. Times in which he explained what he had done. So that's how I knew about it. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but but he said that when he was doing Spartacus, they they had fired the director on it, and they'd gotten uh, Stanley Kubrick in to direct it, mm-hmm. uh, to pick up the direction. And Kubrick said, listen, uh, I'd like to talk to the writer on this. I have a couple of ideas about what we should do in the scene. And they said, oh, well, we can't bring him on the lot because it's, uh, it was written by Dalton Trumbo, and he's, you know, still under a cloud from the Hugh Act, the House of American Activities Committee. And, and so Kirk Douglas said, what do you mean he can't come on the lot? He's written the script, for Christ's sake. Come on, get, get me the, the front gate. And he said... I want to leave a drive-on pass for Dalton Trumbo, okay? And, in fact, the the studio was, uh, that was MCA, mm-hmm. and uh, my brother was a writer's agent who had been taken on by MCA, and he said it was, he remembers the morning when, when that happened, because they, they went to work that day, and Lou Wasserman said to them, uh, gentlemen, as of now, you may not sign any more contracts. MCA is no longer. It's been dissolved. Right. Because we had to make a choice. The government said either you get out of the agency business or you get out of the motion picture business because they, they were an agency that represented actors, but they were also the owner of the Universal Studios. Right, and that was a conflict of interest. Yeah, and uh, so they, and it had been a conflict of mm-hmm. interest for for a few years, but, but somehow or another they'd gotten away with it. Probably had something to do with Reagan. <laughs> yes, it, it had, as I understand, it had a lot to do with Reagan. <laughs> I know. Well, so anyway, uh, de mortuus nil nisi bonum, old uh, Roman saying, concerning the dead, only good things. Yes, yes. Anyway, so my I lived through that with my brother, I knew what had happened, of course. Uh, he told me. And so it was while they were embroiled in, in divesting themselves mm-hmm. of their ownership of universe, of uh, the agency that all of this brouhaha happened. And uh, so nobody noticed. That Dalton Trumbull was on the set. That, yeah, you've you got to let uh, Dalton Trumbull go on a lot. Well, it was high time that they did. I mean, the blacklist was over in... Shortly after that, uh, uh, John Frankenheimer did a movie called Second, mm-hmm. and all of the blacklisted actors were, were in it. William Shallert on the role that uh, Kirk Douglas played in helping end the blacklist by making sure that uh, Dalton Trumbull received screen credit for uh, Spartacus as well as 
uh, subsequently, Lonely Are the Brave. That conversation with Bill Schellert originally aired in January 2013 on TV Confidential. And Phil, as, as Schellert pointed out, when Douglas found out that uh, Trumbo was not allowed on the lot, I mean, b- basically, he threw his weight around, but in a good way. Boy, Shades of Jackie Robinson, not so long before. I, I want to quote uh, Kirk Douglas. He stated, um, Our screenwriter on Spartacus was Dalton Trumbull, working under the pseudonym Sam Jackson, because he was on Hollywood's Notorious Blacklist. What a shameful period that was, especially since we were all hypocrites, hiring the blacklisted to use their talents at reduced wages. And that is so correct. You know, people looked the other way because it was economically benefiting them, and they were using these talented people. They were not getting screen credits, and they were giving them pennies on the dollar. You're listening to a tribute to Kirk Douglas that we recorded in December 2016 to commemorate the actor's 100th birthday. Kirk Douglas died Wednesday, February 5th at the age of 103. We'll play some more from our centennial tribute to Kirk Douglas when we come back on TV Confidential. Are you from California, Illinois, New York, Georgia, or any of the other 39 states that charge state income tax? Does your state claim you owe them any amount of back taxes? Or have you not filed in years? Is your heart pounding because you know they're wrong or you just don't have the money? Don't fight the state income tax board alone. The tax doctor is here to help you. The state is much more aggressive than the IRS in collecting taxes. They have the power to take your home, your car, your driver's and business licenses, even garnish your wages, freeze your bank accounts, and go after your spouse. Solve all your income tax problems permanently and keep more of your hard-earned money. Make this 100% guaranteed risk-free call right now. 800-649-0142. That's 800-649-0142. Story Salon is Los Angeles' longest-running storytelling venue. We have live shows every Wednesday in Studio City, as well as solo shows, podcasts, CDs, and several books. Los Angeles Daily News calls Story Salon gemstones of narrative, something new, funny, astonishing. Sunset Magazine says, tales tall, tragic, and tantalizing. All of this makes Story Salon one of the most eclectic entertainment experiences available. You can learn more about us by going to our Facebook page or by visiting our website at www.storysalon.com. Accredited by Guinness World Records, welcome to Archival Television Audio Incorporated. A peerless TV soundtrack archive preserving the audio from television's first three decades, the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. The Golden and Silver Age of Television. For more information, go to atvaudio.com. Ed Robertson, author friend Donna Allen Figueroa, who I understand has a new book out. Yes, it's entitled Fall Again Beginnings. It's the first part of a four-part contemporary romantic series set against the background of working actors. Something that you know a, little, a thing or two well, about. Well, you write what you know, and I have been working in the business for... Several years. It is not necessarily autobiographical, but it's based on... Sure, many of the experiences that the actors in my book have. Many have happened to me. Many have happened to friends of mine. 
It's not, if you're looking for Valley of the Dolls, it's not, it's grounded in reality. It is grounded in reality, and it's the first in a series. Yes. Called the Fall Again series. Fall Again. Which is available as a paperback as well as an ebook and in Kindle at fallagainseries.com. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.